All right, welcome to Impressing Minds. This is Kristen Atkins, and I have Jenny Yost with me. Um, if you hi, if you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. And we're gonna do many more videos like this. I'm gonna have different people on, so you're gonna want to hear what um, what we're talking about. So Jenny and I have known each other for a few years now, actually, and she did foster care in various places within our state. And then she moved close to me, and so we got to be friends, of course, because we had that in common, and it's kind of unusual to be um, a foster family. You know, they're few and far between, it seems like. So Jenny, tell me a little bit about your fostering journey and how you got started. What was the, the tug at your heart? Yeah, um, so we were living in Huntington, West Virginia when we started, and we saw our community green with many overdoses and um, drug use and how families were being broken up. And it we saw um, a lot of people around us that were close that were starting to foster, and it kind of brought it to our mind too well maybe we should do this and it took us about a year to uh, get to that point because we kept putting it off and I'm not sure if this would be the right choice for us as a family and um, but of course God had bigger plans and um, that's that's exactly what happened was um, you know we started and we wanted to um, help families who um, were in the midst of addiction mm -hmm. and so that way when you know the children have a, a safe place to be and then we could work with the families yeah. and, that, and that's how we started. Great. So did you take um, traditional training with an agency? We did. Yeah. Um, we were with NECO. We love yeah. NECO um, and we did a few trainings with them and became um, certified within six weeks, two months, something like that. Yeah. Okay. When you moved around, did you have to like recertify or how did that work when you moved? We did. Mm -hmm. Each time we recertified um, and did all the paperwork again. Uh, Sometimes yeah. you can transfer, but in, in, our, in our situation, it just turned out that we had to redo it each time. Okay. I've always wondered about that too. If you move around a lot or you rent and then you move into your regular house, you have to do all of it over again because that those particular workers aren't in your area. Is that one well, reason? Well, we moved like each time was a few hours away. So mm -hmm. we did big moves. And if it was just going from, you know, 30 minutes away from renting to um, going into and buying a house, then it would be a little bit different. Um, and we would just transfer, let them update them on the new address and they would do a home inspection. But it was completely different because we went from Huntington to Morgantown and mm -hmm. to Morgantown to Southern West Virginia. And it was very big moves each time. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So you and I brainstormed Actually, we do this every time we get together, or every time we talk, we brainstorm about foster care and some of the issues that foster parents face. And so we have a few topics that we're gonna talk about. We ask some questions to each other and then 
um, we, we just openly discussed it and that's what we're going to do today. Right. But formally. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what was the first question that we had? Um, training is not adequate to prepare long-term fostering. So what can we change? Okay. And so we talked about how, um, the training is an overview more than deep, um, situational type of, of training. And we discussed how it could be better that when the actual initial training was done, we delve deeper into the age groups that we wanted to foster. So when you go into fostering, you decide, I want a, an infant or I want a toddler, a child or a teen. And those are kind of your basic, you know, age groups. And so we talked about how it would be nice to have specific training for each age group. Why don't you talk a little bit about that as well? Of course, um, so parenting is not one size fit all. You have different parts of um, parenting where it's, it's very age specific. So when you're fostering a baby, there's gonna be a big difference than fostering a teenager. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, you look at what can we think about, how can we help with the ages? Um, so first, if you're fostering a baby, well, you might think, well, the baby might be drug, drug addicted when they come. So, you know, training on that specifically would be great. Mm -hmm. um, or if you have a teenager, then you might want training on social media and how to handle that, what's safe out there for your kids to be doing. Um, I, I think if we, do the trainings like that before they become certified, then they're going to be so much more um, prepared for that child. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we had our, our imagination on what we were going to take. And so a training for like younger children would have been great, like how to bond with those children and what, to do and not to do as far as like discipline more specific to the age group because you're not going to discipline a teenager with a minute per number of years or whatever in time out that's that's not you know uh, prudent parenting or whatever so more specific things and also we talked about having some support for foster parents you had mentioned in a particular training that you went to, everyone got in a circle. Can you tell us more about Yeah, that? The, um, the very first time we certified, so this was years ago, and, and we sat in a circle, and um, I, I remember the agency worker saying, now look around at everyone around you, these are this is your support group this is your village because the, these foster parents who are being certified with you they're going through the exact same thing you're going through it you know while you're going through it and that's always stuck with me that we need to be there for each other because we know what it's like to have a child come so quickly and to go through um you know, to see them go through these traumas and we need to be there for each other 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so good. I think our training, there were so many people in the training that I may have gotten to know one other couple, but it was such a massive room full of people and I'm really introverted. So I, I didn't really, you know, on break, I really didn't talk to anybody and we didn't make those kind of relationships in our training. Um, another thing we talked about was peer support. Like there are peer supports for, it seems like everywhere you have a peer support person, um, except for foster parenting. I don't feel like there's any peer support opportunities. We talked about even having a paid position at each agency for just foster parent support. And it would have to be in our, in our mind, it would need to be someone who had fostered before for a significant amount of time that experienced significant amounts of various behaviors or issues. Do you have anything you want to talk about with that peer support? Sure. Um, I think, first of all, I mean, they should go through training. I, I don't think we would just say, hey, you've been fostering for five years. Let's throw you in here. You know, like, you know, like, yeah. I think you should be training. There should be, a, you know, a test to see if they they know what they're doing or, or training to make sure that it is support. It's not just sitting around venting about, you know, the bad things are happening. I mean, a little bit of venting is, is necessary sometimes. Yes. But... <laughs> But I think there, it needs to be much more than that and make sure that um, the, the foster parents know within their first year that they're being taken care of um, and that they're being heard and listened to in, in this. Um, and I think... Um, we also talked about therapy. It would be a nice addition to um, you know, you'd have peer support. And then we said perhaps after about six months, the agency or someone they contract with could offer some therapy sessions, like either family or, you know, just the parents. Have you experienced anything like that or know of um, any I mean, opportunities? Our, our, a lot of our kids have been offered therapy and, mm -hmm. and I'm so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. But I, there were times when there were really hard moments that I wish that I would have had that too to kind of process, you know, as, as my foster child was processing that I could process too and, and have that therapy. And I think that would be really important to have for other families. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially... Um grief counseling even after the child leaves sometimes you're really grieved because you have these as a foster parent you get really attached and you think maybe this child will be here with me forever and you start to dream about raising this child as your own and then when it doesn't work out you are essentially you're grieving the loss of a, a child and so that would be another place that a foster support person could come in and or therapy. Um, what about support groups? How have your support groups changed over the years? Um, you had mentioned something about the ones with childcare and how do they stack up or tell me about different kinds of support groups that you've been in. Um, 
Um, before COVID, it was a little bit different because I, I felt like there were more in-person support groups out there and we could come bring our kids, someone would watch them and it, and, and then we could have that time um, with the other foster parents where we were completely kid free, we could talk openly um, and after, of course COVID, you know, came and yep. threw a lot of things. But, yep. um, one being we had to meet online and and babysitting wasn't an option and so usually only one of us could attend either my husband or i um and you know or if he was out of town you know i was trying to wrangle behind me and and you know a toddler trying to climb up my head and, you know <laughs> all the craziness and trying to have that support and i i absolutely loved having that babysitting option um, where people could watch the kids because I, I felt like i had that moment to breathe and talk and listen um and yeah. the support groups yeah. yeah and it would be like you know hanging out with friends who are going through the exact same thing as you and you get to like you said talk more freely like you can't actually talk to someone who's never done foster care about the issues that are in foster care and almost the behaviors you know you're kind of judged may may maybe because these kids are acting up and you don't have all the answers and then you're not equipped to um stifle those behaviors because they have trauma and regular folks don't understand the trauma and the behaviors that come with that. So I love being in a support group in person where people could actually talk, not necessarily vent. Sometimes it, it turns into that. And there, there is a place for that as well. I mean, sometimes you need someone to talk to and that's where like friendships like this are very beneficial. Another thing we talked about for um, when we were discussing this and brainstorming is um, trauma and the training that comes with the trauma and then attachment disorders. So I know we've both had some children in our lives who have had some attachment issues and a lot of other parents I know that have also had those kind of issues, but I didn't think that the training prepared me for bonding with the child or being aware of attachment issues and what the behaviors would be like. And so I wasn't prepared for those things when they were coming up. Like they may have touched on it a little during the training, but a year later when I'm going through it, I don't feel prepared at that moment. Can you tell me about your, um, you know, attachment issues? and or the training that you received to prepare? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we didn't really receive much training on it. We knew it was a possibility. Um, it was mentioned in, in the training a little bit one time about how when children move around a lot, um, they have a hard time getting attached to people. And that was kind of it. Um, we really didn't receive specific training and, and got really deep into what, um, what it would mean um, to have 
a child with attachment um, issues. So when we, we've had a couple with um, Rad and the second placement, we knew he had it. He was, um, he was a teenager and we didn't really know what to expect. And that, that time we really wanted to adopt and we wanted to give him forever home. We thought we were very naive going into it thinking, oh, if we give him a forever home and, and, let him know like we're here we love you we're gonna stay um and if we tell him not enough like it's it's gonna make things just kind of melt away like mm-hmm. the adoption after that it'll be easier it and it just wasn't enough you know love and and those instances are just not enough right there's actually a book called love is not enough and i in my mind, I was naive and thinking, well, maybe it's not enough for other families, but we are gonna, we are gonna succeed. We have God on our side. God's gonna heal this trauma, and it's not gonna affect the children that we have because we're anointed to do this. You know, just like I had these grandeur schemes and ideals. However, I also have experience with Brad, and it doesn't there's it's just something that rewires the brain and i've learned that you know um most recently i didn't know it in the trauma training or even in my initial classes so i think that would be a way that foster care could be better another thing we talked about was how the children are moved around so much and the reasons for that it may be because we're not trained properly that we get overwhelmed as foster parents quickly and we say um i'm overwhelmed i i didn't expect all this and so in our initial reaction is i can't do it and we call for the child to be removed or the children the sibling group whatever it is and that in and of itself creates more of the attachment cycle breaking don't you agree Oh yeah, and every every move, uh, starting with being moved from biological parents, being moved mm-hmm. from each home, each time that's that's more trauma. That's you know more, and they think you know, is there anywhere that I'm going to be forever? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so each time it gets it gets harder. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so if we did need to move children to a new placement. We had talked about this. I think it's one of our questions. How could transition be much more gentle and soft if I decided I can't do this, really like I can't do this and I need to call. You know, there's a waiting day, a waiting period, I think of 10 days or something that they try to, I'm not sure what they do during that 10 days, but you give a call, they have 10 days to move the child. What could we do to make the transition smoother and more gentle for the child? Yeah, I think we need to start off with once that family is found that they're going to, I think they need to have phone calls and, and you know, talk with them, mm-hmm. you know, play dates with the kids that they already have in their home and, you know, get them 
together, um, go over to their house and be like, well, this is going to be your room. Think about how you're going to decorate it, make it your own. Um, I think there's different ways we can do over time. And I know it takes time. So some agencies have 10 days to, to find a place. Some, some actually will say, well, give me a 30 day notice. Okay. It depends, yeah. It depends on the agency or the DHHR, the region. It just depends. I've seen okay. different ones, but within that time, we need to be doing the best we can to be getting this child ready for that move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I try to, to explain <clears throat> being removed from a home as if like you were at work and you were sitting there at your desk, your typewriter, whatever, and some authority, so like a policeman or someone comes in and says, gather your things you have five minutes to gather your things, you're going to somewhere else to work. And you're like, what? I, I'm doing my, you know, like I'm in the middle of this. This is my, what I've known. And they're like, no, you gotta go with me. And they take you uh, against your will to a new job and say, here's your new desk, sit here and work. And so that's what I'm like, that would be as close as I could get to explaining to someone what it's like when these children are just kind of like picked up from mom and dad, dropped off at another home, and then they're expected to live there, fit in and thrive. And it's just yeah. not ideal. It's not, almost not possible, it feels like. Yeah, they, they definitely need a time of, of grace at that mm -hmm. moment, you know, when, we, we were like, well, why didn't they know not to, you know, insert rule here? Like, it's, why did they just throw something on the floor and just leave it there? Why did they do this or that? And, and we think, well, this should just be common sense for us. We grew up this way. No, like, they, we need to put perspective on the child and what they're going through. And there's going to be a lot of mistakes. There's going to be a period that they're going to test you a little bit to see what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> and we, it's definitely a time that we need to be showing them grace and, you know, understand that there is going to take time to figure all this out. Yeah. What was the longest um, placement that you had? How long was your longest one? Um, I've had a couple that lasted 15 months. Okay. So in our state, 15 months out of 22 months is the, the time when termination is kind of discussed, parental termination. Um, I've had some that have lasted over two years and it was so hard to keep those kids that long because they're in limbo. They don't want to bond with me because they're still having visits. They don't want to bond with me. I'm like the enemy almost, <clears throat> excuse me. They want so bad to go back to their family. And after two years in limbo, I feel like they're thinking, this is where I'm, this is how I'm going to live the rest of my life. Just like, I don't know why I'm still here. Um, the communication was lacking in explaining to the children exactly where the case was going. Do you think that your kids that you had that long, do you feel like they were feeling in limbo and then not wanting to bond with you? Or how does that affect a child when, it, when they're in so long? Um, one, one it did. The other one, yeah. it, things kind of ended 
pretty quickly and he he went home without much of transition mm-hmm. but I did keep in contact with mom after that and she mm-hmm. was letting me know how hard that transition was and we mm-hmm. did play dates and things like that with our kids um but the the second one um it, yeah I saw a, a big difference um because he was having visits with his parents a couple of times a week he was having home visits where he would stay the night he was ready to go home mm-hmm. I remember he even filled out some paperwork in class um he was in first grade and they said you know what's something that would make you happy and he said I just want to go home mm-hmm. and that it, it broke my heart like he was so ready um but we did have a very good bond, um, and, and I think that kept, I mean, I'm not saying there wasn't times where he, he tested things or he wasn't ready to go home, mm-hmm. like he was, um, but we had a very special bond. There was a lot that he came with whenever he first came to care, that there were things that he wasn't able to do that I, I was able to help him with, mm-hmm. and I think that gave us a very extraordinary bond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember your story. I have that um, that story story on my blog. So if anybody wants more information, it's a wonderful story. Um, I'll probably put a link down there. <laughs> um, right. What other questions did we discuss? Do you have the list there? What else did we discuss? Oh, I know one thing we discussed was worker turnaround and how it's such a high stress job that we have a lot. And that was an, another separate issue. Yes, yeah. it is. And, and that's something I wish I would have been told, um, you know, early on as a foster parent that you're going to get lots and lots of workers. It's not going to just be, okay, you have one worker with this child and, you know, through the whole case. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we have three, four, five workers and it's, I feel like there was times where it's like every month we were getting someone new and then they would have to learn the case and we would have to fill them in again and there's turnaround which I mean I I I know there's not much as a foster parent there's not much you can do about that Mm -hmm. I mean that we we need to make sure we're showing respect to our our CPS workers and our social workers and know that they are very much appreciated um Mm -hmm and what they do. Yeah, I agree. My daughter's actually a CPS worker. And so when the CPS workers would come to our house or the ongoing worker, you know, I tried to form a relationship with them as well. So we have a relationship with the child. We try and form a relationship in some cases with the bio parent, but having that relationship with the social worker you know, so that she doesn't like dread coming to your house. You know, she's excited to come and see you because you treat her kindly, show grace, and make her very welcome in your home. You know, that's one way you can be ministering to just one more person because you do get lots of people that come in. So if your home is a nice atmosphere, I think that helps, you know, at least for a few minutes (laughs) with the worker coming. All right. I'm sorry. What was the other questions that we were talking about? Um, we talked, well, we already talked about how kids get used to being in their, get used to being in the home, mm-hmm. um, and things we could do. 
we talked about how when they're first coming into care, how there's things that we can do mm-hmm. um, to help them transition, not only coming from one foster home to another, but coming straight into oh, care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And getting to to know the family a little bit to make sure it's not just, you know, you know it's not just um, a child ministry, but it's a family ministry. And we need to be doing things to let the kids know that we care about their whole family yeah that, that mommy and daddy are still very special and we even would pray for their family um i remember one <clears throat> so i had two different sets of siblings and one set parental rights were terminated and we were just waiting on like the transition to adoption because we decided to adopt them and the other little set of siblings the boy says, I hope I get adopted too by my mommy, <laughs> you know? So because we have talked about mommy and daddy and visiting and things like he was, he understood that he wanted to be adopted by his mother, you know? Um, we also talked about when foster parents first sign up, what could be something they could do before just taking these long-term placements that maybe they feel inadequate for after a while. Like we talked about respite to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, a good step. A lot of people who they're talking to me about foster care and they're like, well, I really want to do it, but I just, I'm not sure. I usually tell them go respite first, mm-hmm. get, you know, put your toe in the water, feel mm-hmm. how, you know, fill it and see, you know, if this is the right choice for you, um, because respite is, is different from long-term care, mm-hmm. and you usually get a child who's been in for, been in care for a while, who just need a weekend, um, I've heard some foster care, uh, foster parents say it feels a lot more like babysitting, like you get them for the weekend, you get mm-hmm. to be the, you know, fun, foster parent to and go do things with them and, and hang out and, and go places and spend that time with them but then they go back but in that time the foster family who has the kids for you know months or years get that weekend where they can um, be able to, to rest a little bit yeah and they can regroup if they have their own you know biological children they can um, just kind of pour into them a little bit at that at that time, do something special with them, or even just rest, because it is so, I feel like it's so 24-7. You're like always on your toes when you're doing the foster kids, and where are they, and what are they doing, no matter what age they are, really. But, um, <clears throat> so you almost could breathe a little bit for a weekend where you're not hypervigilant about where this child is or where that child is. You said um, something interesting. You can explain that you felt um, more relaxed when you had the youngers as opposed to the teenagers. Can you contrast contrast those for us? Uh, And it might just be a little bit of of me and and I I love spending time with my littles, but um, you know, I, I always felt more relaxed with my my younger ones and I, and I felt like it was easier to find respite if I needed it mm-hmm. you know I could someone who also had little kids could be like oh come hang out you know and, and take my kids for a few hours um 
but it was harder to find respite for my older ones. Now, two of my older ones did have RAD, and they came with a lot of things from their background. And anytime I would need respite, I could never find it for them. Mm. Um, I would call, and, and the agency would look, but would say, there's nobody in this whole state who would be willing to take them for even a night because of you know the things that they've been through in their past and the fact that they're older and and we would so we never had respite during those times with our older ones Mm -hmm. do you looking back do you think the the older ones if they had gone for a weekend somewhere do you think that would have been heavy or hard for the respite family or do you think that would just be like a honeymoon weekend for the the foster the respite workers um i think it would have been okay if it was just for a couple of days i think they would be okay um and and i would have gotten the rest now i'm not saying that it would have fixed everything and there wouldn't have been problems but i think they could have used some time with somebody else Mm -hmm. and i think that would have good for them and good for us too in that situation yeah so respite could actually be away from you as the mom you're like um in their mind you're probably like always on them to do this and do that and and constantly telling them what to do almost yeah Yeah. Yeah, exactly in charge of making sure they did what they were supposed to do and and all of the things I mean we have fun as moms but any mom with any kids there's things that they have to do and and it's not always fun and games right so they could get away from you as much as you need a rest as well Yeah. so one thing that we thought about was if you sign up for foster care um, because there's no obligation. It doesn't cost anything or, or, you know, there's no investment except for time and some soul seeking to see whether you want to do it or not. But the first six months or so, just do respite and get your feet wet, like you said. And then after six months, maybe you would be more ready to do a long-term placement or you could say, no, this is exactly what I want to do instead of finishing your training and then like 30 minutes later, you know, you get a call for someone and they're gonna stay with you for two years. That's a huge commitment that maybe you didn't think all the way through or you're just not prepared. Do you think six months would be a good time to get your feet wet doing respite? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and, and if long-term fostering isn't for you, like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We really need respite workers, too, or or, or people who would be, not workers, but respite yeah. foster parents, too. Um, that way, you know, or emergency. A lot of times kids come through an emergency, and they don't have time to find um, homes for long-term placement or they don't know how long this may only take a week or something Mm -hmm. to get things together so they just need somewhere for the kids to go that's safe emergency um for a few days i've done a few of those myself and so if long-term isn't for you then that's okay because short-term foster parents are needed too yes absolutely 
Um, when you get a placement, um, were you working full time when you got your first placement, and and how did that, how did working affect getting those kids initially? So I became a parent um, through foster care. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any biological children. I went from zero kids to two, and um, I was working full time at a daycare at the time. And I remember a couple of weeks went by and it was kind of a blur at first but I do remember that sitting on the playground during lunch um and on my lunch break and and just feeling so overwhelmed and such heaviness from everything that I was taking into you know from be becoming a parent and being exhausted and there is no ex exhaustion like first time parent exhaustion. <laughs> Especially um, when you get two. Yeah, and so I, I remember feeling that, but also just the heaviness from hearing about their traumas mm -hmm. and and just so much that was going on from being a first time parent and foster parent. Yeah, I have a similar situation where I was working full time. I was a teacher at a private school and so on Friday afternoon, we got two young children, five, like five and three. And so Monday morning, you know, I got up and get them ready and we all go to work. But looking back, I think I should have taken a day off from work, even if I registered them and then just stayed home and prepared the home. And so I wasn't so overwhelmed with the work and the parenting. Um, eventually, I quit my job to be a stay-at-home mom so I could do that. Did Is that similar to what you've done, that what you did? Yeah. By my third placement, uh, I was like, well, I just need to stay home. But there there were, in, within that month that I made that decision, mm -hmm. we had four, four kids come, come and go within mm -hmm. that month. And I kept having to take a couple of days off work. And I mean, that put a lot of stress on me at work, put stress on my bosses and my coworkers too, trying to find people to take my shifts. And it it was just not working. And, and I, I felt like I needed to focus on the kids and just be at home. Um, and I'm really thankful for, for that. Yeah. Um, for that time that I didn't have to worry about that and I could just focus on the kids and what they needed. Yeah, I am too. I'm glad that I did that because I feel like that was my <clears throat> my ministry for that amount of time. Like that's what I did. I was just a mom and just there for the kids and just there to help direct them. That was just my, my mission at that, at that point of my life. Um, is there anything else that we had written down that we were going to discuss or I think, I think we've powered through everything. I think we did. Uh -huh. um, one thing I wanted to say is, yeah. you, you know, talk about is things that, um, you know, we can do to support foster families. Like what okay. do foster families want? I know we didn't really discuss this, but I think it's really important with what we're going through to keep foster parents in you know, from quitting within their first year, I think we need to think how are we as a community um, fostering or um, helping these foster parents? 
Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, yeah, I yeah. think. I think for me, just knowing that I had someone that I could talk to besides respite, respite would be amazing. But if I knew, like, for example, you and I are friends, I could call you and discuss, you know, what am I doing wrong? And usually it's nothing that you're doing wrong. It's just an overwhelming situation. I felt like you said earlier, knowing the trauma that they had, I took that one, you know, as secondary trauma to my, myself. Like I felt it in my soul. How could someone, how could this situation happen? How could, how could they do that? You know, like, and so it's, it's a really heavy mental weight as well as the physical running and cleaning and cooking and diapering perhaps all, all that. What do you think about um, um, having the biggest, the biggest thing, Chris? I loved when people brought us dinner. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, food. Help that I didn't have to worry about dinner. Um, and I, I have had friends who were foster parents who somebody would adopt them to just do dinners and be like, once a week, every Thursday, we're in charge of your dinner. And that could be as easy from just bringing them Pizza Hut to, um, you know, making them a, f a full meal. It, it, it didn't really matter, you know, what it was, but it that they would get a dinner and they didn't have to worry about it. And it could have been on a day where they had tons of therapies going on that day and they had to were rushing around. Or maybe they had a visit that day earlier and the kids just, everybody needed to kind of rest in the evening and so the uh, mama could focus on the kids and didn't have to focus on um, dinner and all the things that are crazy in the evening time yeah, um, yeah so dinner was a big thing and also people to mentor our kids I thought mm -hmm. was a huge help um, to us anytime they a kid would connect with somebody. Um, I loved when that person stepped in and was like, hey, let's go do fun things this weekend. I wanna take you to the mall and let's go shopping. I want to, um, you know, take you to the park and let mom have some time to herself and let's do fun things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and I absolutely love that because kids can't have too much of that. Like, right. that's, it's so needed. Yeah, and if you're a family, you know, you're going to the park anyway, you know, might as well take another kid or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and also with the meals, you know, the preparation of the meal is a huge weight lifted, but also the time that you spend cleaning up the meal, because most of the time, my, if, if we had a meal, it would come in like aluminum foil pans or whatever disposable type things, and then you didn't have to clean the kitchen. That saved you another hour. So I think bringing a meal to a family or even giving them like um, DoorDash coupons or something like that would be an amazing support. Yeah. All right, well, I think we have talked about everything foster care related <laughs> in, our, in our 42 minutes here. <laughs> We should do this again. We probably will um, do more topics like this. All right, so thank you for watching till the end and I hope that you have a wonderful day. And I'm trying to figure out how to stop recording here, if I even am.
here, I like to ask my my guests this season, what is something that your clients, readers, or listeners would be surprised to know about you? Uh, kind of a fun fact, something we wouldn't know about you otherwise. Um, I have three American bullies, and... Okay. We've had, they've had pups, and we've had as many as 14 puppies at our house, 14 oh, wow. dogs at our house at one time. So, wow. Yeah, so we breed you must dogs. must have a pretty, pretty big house for, uh, for having that many <laughs> dogs and, and uh, the number of foster kids and mm -hmm. kids you've adopted and everything. So, yeah. but three bullies, that's awesome. I've, I've never had a bulldog uh had different dogs over the years myself, but um, one that certainly changed our life is the one we have now, and that's our, our Eva. She's a uh, boxer hound mix, and we got her when my wife and I were kind of in the acceptance stage of know it. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be able to have our own kids. Maybe it's just going to be just us, and then we got her, and that kind of opened everything back up for us. So dogs... Mm -hmm are such a huge part of our lives. So it's awesome yeah. to hear that you've had the dogs in the family and they've had bigger families. So, <laughs> um, so obviously the big question here with what you do, how did you get into fostering? And as mentioned, you were a foster parent turned adoptive parent. Mm -hmm. Did you set out to foster only what, or was adoption a part of the plan uh, when you got into it as well? Well, it's actually both. So the first time we got into it, it was specifically to adopt. And I think um, the culture or whatever kind of looks down on that at, at this point in time or recently. It's more like fostering is the only option that you have. But we only wanted to just adopt. So the kids' rights were terminated and the social worker called us. We were on some kind of list and she called us for two children. So that was our first experience with foster care. Um, a year and a half later, we actually adopted them. So they were there for a year and a half before actual adoption occurred. And we had to take a long time to settle in with them before we felt an inkling or a, um, a call to do some more. Uh, the reason we got into it the second time was just because a friend of mine wanted us to do respite care for her. And so we were like, okay, yeah, we can do that. And so we redid our fingerprints and updated our license and all that. And so we actually did that respite, but we also got calls because we were on the foster list now for additional foster kids. We did, we had 24 kids over that two, that 10 year period. And so when the, the last call that we got, we had three girls. And so my husband, I, I, he said, we're not adopting again. And I said, oh, okay. And one day, <laughs> I've been praying. I was like, oh, God, I love these. Because one, I got from the hospital. Like, these were little, little kids. The last one I got from the hospital. And I said, Lord, if you want us to adopt, you'll have to talk to my husband. You'll have to put it on his heart. 
and give him that nudge that that we want to adopt because I do but I don't want to be contentious or whatever and one day the oldest of those three came to me and said I'm done with my chores is there anything else you want me to do and I was like no I think you're good and she scampered off and my husband was sitting there watching he was like you know I don't think we could ever let these girls go if they come up for adoption and I was like really and so once those three were officially adopted, um, the other set of siblings moved out and we closed our home because we had too many kids. We were over the limit already. Yeah. So that's how it started and ended, kind of. <laughs> so, and just kind of circle back to, like, the fact that you guys plan on adoption all along mm -hmm. stuff um what was that conversation like with with you and your husband who like did mm -hmm. one of you approach the other about going through foster adoption and, and what was that conversation like because certainly as you came around to the three girls um i think it's obviously very important that both sides of the family are on board like both sides of the couple are on board mm -hmm. with both fostering and adopting um, and then also, I guess this is a longer winded question, um, but the kids that you had already adopted, the, the first two, mm -hmm. they were probably older at that point since you had fostered over the course of 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, what was their, what was that conversation like with them when he said, you know, we're going to adopt these, mm -hmm. the three girls? Yeah, so <clears throat> originally we... I'm not sure what, the only thing I could say is like, maybe God just put a little hole in our heart. We had two bio, biological children, and they were both two girls. So we were just wanting to add to our family without going through pregnancy, actually. So that just kind of led the conversation of, I think we're ready to do this. Um, a different way and you know, expand our family a different way this time and also we had grown up in a church where an older couple I mean they weren't really old I guess they felt like they were old to me at the time because I was a child but they did foster care and so they would come and bring like six seven eight kids with them and oh, wow. yeah and so we grew up kind of watching that family and I always thought, maybe someday I want to do that. So we just kind of had some natural conversations all along. It wasn't like I wanted to do it and I was trying to convince him to do it. You know, he and I both just had that little tug at our heart. And then the other thing was when we wanted to adopt the little girls, you know, we had pretty much said, you know, we're not adopting any more children. He'd let several children go to other families, back to, you know, they had to go back to their biological family. Um, but we just kind of said, what if they come up for adoption? Would you all be, you know, willing to share your room, share everything, you know, forever, practically? And, oh, yeah, they were very excited. And especially because the baby, I mean, like, they had really bonded with her. Um, and so she was probably about a year old at that time. So it was just very, like, exciting and 
I mean, they love, we loved them from the very beginning. So it was kind of a relief, I think, for them too. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. So 24 kids over the course of 10 years. Um, for someone that's considering getting into foster care, um, what's probably one thing that you think that they should know ahead of time getting into foster care? Like the, the biggest thing is because with that 24 kids, my wife and I, our two boys were our second and third placement basically, um, mm -hmm. even though they're brothers. Um, you know, we, we experienced heartbreak with the first ones going home, even though it was, uh, it was more melancholy because they went back to bio family. But, um, you know, so that there's obviously the, the ups and downs, but you know, what's maybe the, a big thing that sticks out in your head that, um, people considering foster care should take heed with before they mm -hmm. get into really go through all the classes and, and everything that comes with foster care. Yeah. I would say having a, comfortable, stable marriage beforehand because it's very taxing um, physically, it's very taxing emotionally and mentally. And so if you don't already, if you're not 100% sure about your marriage and have a plan to go forward with like, we're gonna spend time to ourselves and you know, maybe go out on a date or whatever once a month or something. Um, that would be the biggest thing because it is taxing and then it takes a toll on your marriage um, because you're just so busy and you're almost, as a mom, you're so consumed with the kids and the case and the what-ifs that um, it can make you almost obsessed with it. And so you're not wanting to work on the other things of your life, like marriage. <laughs> so I would say a strong marriage would be the number one thing before you even approach the possibility. And how about the, um, the relationship, how it affected your relationship with your biological kids, having foster kids come into the home and, mm -hmm. and how that whole dynamic worked? Um, I think they were really excited because in our situation, we decided to do only younger children than our youngest. And so it was always like, you know, little, little kids were coming to play and they could dress them up and they could, you know, dote around after them and play with them. And so they were really excited and on board and it made them feel, I think it made them feel mature and like they were needed um, a lot more than just being more self-centered as a child. I think they had to sacrifice a lot. So our relationship with them is very important as well. Um, looking back, I probably would have had those like little play dates with them alone, you know, like taking them out special, um, just like I would have my, or we did with our marriage, you know, purposefully worked on that. So you purposefully work on the, the, the kid, your firstborn kids, the first and second, actually, um, 
on that relationship and to get them out of the house with you alone and process things that are going on like court cases, possibilities, what if this happens, they have to go back and you know, that grief that comes with it, help them process that a little more purposefully. And, and that's another one, how did the, your biological children handle the grief as they saw these different kids come in the house, establish relationships and friendships with them, and then see them leave? Like, mm -hmm. um, is there some things that surprised you with how your, your biological children reacted? And then, then also your two adopted children, how they reacted? Um, mm -hmm. your, your first two adopted, I should say, once yeah. the others left? Yeah, I would say the older ones would, uh, the biological ones would probably more or less grieve. And the adopted ones, um, almost one of them was almost kind of triggered, I think, about it. And so we had some bigger issues that came up with that one child. And it, it that may have triggered some some issues um, but for the most part they would just grieve and then we could kind of move on and take a break I actually had one set of siblings that my girls the, the, the second third girl were actually kind of excited that they left just because they didn't get along like it was constant girl fighting and um, territorial and so they were almost relieved when that sibling group left um, but it was just childish things you know it wasn't like they didn't like them but it was kind of like just childish girl drama kind of stuff so, um, yeah. what was the longest uh, placement you had that either returned home or moved on to another uh, placement, moved to another foster home? Yeah, the longest placement we had was over two years. Oh, wow. and, yeah. And um, they were like, they were two boys. They were boys, of course, so they were, you know, hyper or whatever. And um, <laughs> Um, I resemble that. Yeah, I'm sure. And um, so after a while, like they were still having visits ever so often. And um, they, I think they were just in limbo. They just didn't really want to bond with us because they wanted to go home. And so it was a, a difficult time, um, you know, but I really loved them and like, you know, kiss them goodnight every night and try to play mom but I know they really um they're they're just really confused I think about why am I still here when they could go and visit with their parents there was no really explanation for them that they could that was a solid explanation or a timeline that they could follow so that was really hard but eventually they did go back with their bio dad um, you know, after two years, they had like maybe one overnight visit or something. And then it was like, okay, they're back. They're going back. <laughs> so that was actually kind of shocking at the time. 
even though we kind of expected it. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and where, forgive me again, where are you located? Like uh, state and city yeah. wide? Well, we're in Southern West Virginia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Um, and it, how has, because you have a little bit of a, a little bit of a twang, I'll, I'll say that. Okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> I, to me, you do. I mean, all right. You know, but <laughs> just, just a little bit, like into one. Yeah. Um, are any of your, um, are any of your kids uh, another uh, race? Another? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And and how has that experience been as you've gone out in public? Because mm -hmm. and I asked that question. Here we are in February, Black History Month. Yeah. And I have a three a three year old that is uh, suddenly like taking a lot more notice to his skin color and. It's different from mom and dad's, and and really, we're just trying to drive into them, like, you know, that it doesn't matter what color you are, like, your skin is beautiful, yeah. stuff, so, um, but there's, my wife and I get different reactions out in public based on if it's both of us with them, or if it's just one of us with them, and, mm -hmm. and so I'm just wondering, what has your experience been uh, with your kids out in, in public and everything? Okay. Um, yeah, so in public, um, it's so funny because I have my littlest girls with me, and this was a couple years ago, so she's probably like five years old, and it was during the day, so my other ones may have been at school, I would say, but anyway, um, I just got quite a few looks from this one particular guy. I thought he thought I was single, and I had the little girl. And so he kind of followed me around the store a little bit, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, you want to go out or something? <laughs> and other times people do stare, especially when it's me and my husband or out to eat or whatever. And I can just see it. But as soon as you look at them, you know, they are like, oh, you know, I don't mean to stare, but I'm confused. So, yeah, we haven't really had any negative anything. It's just... A little awkward or maybe confusing for them. And is there any, yeah, is there anything you are doing, like, for your kids in that? Like, are your kids kind of raising questions about, I mean, sure, they understand mm -hmm. or explained adoption to them, but, like, mm -hmm. is there anything that you've had to kind of navigate differently as a result? Yeah. Of being a multiracial family? Yeah. So, before, let's see, 2020... <laughs> We didn't give it much thought at all. Like, um, I, I really never thought about it. And during 2020, a lot of things came out that I actually just wasn't aware of. The um, Some of the systemic racism or, you know, just how black people may be treated differently than I was. I didn't understand or realize that that was that was going on because it maybe it just wasn't shared with me because I have no reason to know until then um I had one there's a church service where one of our pastors who happens to be African-American um gave a a talk and shared some of his story of maybe profiling I'm not sure exactly what he would call it maybe a little profiling and 
how he'd gotten pulled over and different things. And so that got me really thinking and I reached out to him and his wife um, and asked them a few things. What should I, what should I teach my kids or what do I need to instill in them? And so they had some really good advice. Um, you know, we go to a church that has both black and white attending. Um, so that's another thing I'm kind of feel awkward about as they get older that, you know, where we go, I kind of notice now, are there other black people here and how are they, how do they feel? Um, so, you know, and they're really open about it. We can, we can talk about it and their hair, you know, their hair texture is different. So we have to do a lot of uh, different, um, methods for that. And, um, it's been a journey to learn how to do, you know, young ladies' hair. So, yeah, we've talked about it some, and I'm sure as they get older, we'll have even more conversations. Yeah, that, that's what we are kind of experiencing, too, mm -hmm. and, and understanding with our kids. And um, my wife works at a church, and it's where we've been going for all this time, but mm -hmm. it's a predominantly white congregation i mean our two black boys are two of four colored people in our church and i love a church i'm not knocking our church or our community by any means but it's just not very diverse where we are so we actually just visited a church this past weekend mm -hmm. uh that is a predominantly white church or predominantly black church that merged together to have more of that diversity and influence um, together and, and we just absolutely loved it and we'll be uh, I'll probably be attending with the boys more often myself mm -hmm. um, because of my wife working in the church mm -hmm. um, so she can't really leave our church to go to the support yeah. um, but, but it was just uh, definitely a unique experience and we're just trying to make sure we're you know integrating more influence and experiences and ideas and, and surrounding ourselves with more people because I, you know, I, I grew up um, in a city that's a good mix of, of white and black people and with a lot of black friends. And, you know, even then, like, I would hear some things, um, some profiling uh, and some treatments going on, but I didn't think much of it until as we were getting older and it seemed more common. Mm -hmm. And then really started hearing and seeing more things. And um, so it's it's definitely been a different experience and now it's just being more aware of those kind of uh, sy systems in place and the, the fights that are going on um, now it's just you know kind of worrying for my kids future but also doing our best to arm them and prepare mm -hmm. them for for whatever is to come so yeah it's, it's good to get another perspective on that yeah exactly I had a, my pastor's wife said that she uh, ran into an interracial couple once and was talking with them. And she said, she, the, the girl asked her if there's racism or something about that. And she said, oh, I don't think so around here. And that the girl said, well, how would you know? And it's kind of like that. Like we, I wouldn't know until 
I were presented with that situation and, and these circumstances that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Well, from the number of times that we've mentioned church and you've talked about your church, mm-hmm. uh, obviously we're, you're a believer mm-hmm. and um, it seems that you've turned your experience in foster care into an opportunity to help others. Uh, with coaching they're doing? How does your coaching of foster parents work? Well, right now I'm in the very beginning stages, so I don't have a big, you know, huge coaching program that I follow. Basically, um, we'll have some conversations over the phone or via Zoom, and we can talk about kind of whatever the issues are that you're having, and I can kind of guide you as to... You know, whether this is normal or whether you should seek this type of therapist or maybe try this, you know. Um, I had one lady actually from Mexico reach out to me recently regarding her, um, a group home that she is employed with, I think. And she has some issues. Uh, I had written an article on reactive attachment disorder. Um and so at the end of the article, I just put my email there. And so she emailed me and then we got to talking about those attachment issues. But in Mexico, it's so different because I was telling her, you know, you need an attachment therapist. He needs to see the pediatrician. And she's like, that doesn't happen here. You know, I, they don't see a doctor here. So I gave her some other strategies that would be just specific for her. Um, I've also kind of coached or just listened to, um, another lady that was, she had like a biological kid, then she had a, almost the same age adoptive kid. And so she was torn because she saw the, her child, she kind of favored and the, uh, the foster child she just wanted to unburden herself, I guess, with the feeling that maybe she favored her own child more. And so I just kind of talk them through it and really encourage and explain that these kinds of feelings that you have are normal and kind of give some maybe examples from my own journey to alleviate some fears for keeping the kids forever perhaps or you know so it's very individual coaching it's not a huge systematic approach and and how it should be obviously yeah. I mean, it's each system is gonna each system and each system each case each person each individual is gonna be different their situation will be different their the foster children they have in their home are going to be different. So mm-hmm. absolutely individualized is a great way to approach it. Um, is Has there been anything that's surprised you so far in your coaching journey um, that's mm-hmm. kind of stuck out with any of your clients so far? No, it's just beginning, but... Yeah. Um, actually, I feel like uh, it. it's not picking up like I thought it would. Like, I think I would have loved someone, you know, just to bounce these ideas off of and get some fresh perspective and just someone maybe to vent to. But 
I, I would have loved that, but maybe it's just not something that other people need or they just don't know that I'm available or what. So, and you know, it's just social media, I guess. So that's pretty much where I am. I don't know if, yeah. you know, I don't know if that's uh, working and, out. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I get that part of it because um, I've definitely, and this being my second season of my podcast, I've had individuals reach out to me and it, that paid attention to my wife and my story on social media everything and it, and you know it's you want to give good advice because you know the the goal here is helping children and helping mm -hmm. families and so you don't want to be like oh well yeah i can share my information for you for a price like right so, like you feel terrible doing that um so it's it's been more like giving advice and and just kind of informing them experience you've had and and finding the correlation of turning that into okay what does the coaching really look like um it it seems like it would start out probably a little dry like i, I agree there's things that we could use someone's mm -hmm. perspective a, a seasoned vet like yourself could use your perspective when we were in the thick of it you know four or five years ago because um, I remember, like, the first night uh, with our first placements at 1 in the morning, my wife sobbing, did we make a mistake? Yeah. And, and, and that was all because the three-week-old would not be still enough for us to get his swaddle on him mm -hmm. to get him to calm down. And yeah. It's, it's emotionally and overwhelming. Once, oh, yeah. Yeah. It is overwhelming. And, and just, you know, the things that go into... You know, getting ready, getting comfortable with with your placement, and and letting them communicate to them how you are a safe space, how you are not just trying to take over their lives, how you want them to have happy, healthy lives. That you you know, just those kind of things that making sure that parents know how to do that. Plus, you know, those classes that we go through to get your um, foster license, mm -hmm. foster certification. They really don't prepare you for everything. They're great. There are a lot of great things you pick up, but I feel like we made we probably got more from the continuing education classes we got versus what we did for our initial civil service to get licensed. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's more. Um, if we could have flipped it and mm -hmm. had more of those, like actual things that we're really learning, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that would been more beneficial. So if that's what you're offering. I think seeing, talking to someone like you and myself would be a benefit to people just getting into foster care. Yeah, because the training, you really don't know unless you have, unless you're doing kinship, you already have the kids, you really don't mm -hmm. know what questions to ask. And so they're just um, kind of on the surface trying to tell you everything they can quickly as possible or um, so they can get through so much information and then after you get the kids, you're like, wow, I wish they would have told me more about X, Y, Z. Yeah. And so then all these questions come up. So when you have additional trainings, maybe you have the opportunity to, to talk to someone more specifically about your case or the situation. Yeah, absolutely. You also started a podcast uh, detailing mm -hmm. different experiences and points of views uh, having to do with foster care. 
Uh, how's your podcasting experience been so far? And <laughs> what can you tell us about your podcast that you think would maybe stick out or make it a great resource for people looking to get into foster care? Okay. Well, it is evolving like everything else. I'm just kind of getting started. So it's evolving. And what I really want it to be is... Um, just sharing general information to make foster parents realize that they're not alone and share some clips of the stories that I've experienced so that they have a, a general idea of this is kind of normal. Um, the first couple of podcasts, I think I did like how to get started maybe, but now it's kind of evolving into, you know, interviews or more specific, um, topics and so hopefully it'll be kind of a well-rounded podcast that you can just tune in and, and learn some snippets of ideas for the kids in your home like not necessarily discipline strategies but maybe um, just practical how-to or ideas to think about um, with foster care and the system the foster care system Sometimes I talk about that a little bit. Um, any like foster care podcast uh, or books that you've read that you uh, really have kind of transformed your perspective or maybe fed into more of what you're trying to get across as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we both of us talked about the blacks, um, Justin, yes, Alex. Love Justin oh Alexis, gosh, yeah. I love them. Like I love yeah. that book. I felt like I was right there with them while they were going through, you know, the stuff in their childhood and their teen years. And I just, um, I, I just devoured that book, and it made me uh, almost more compassionate toward those those children in those situations because. I can hear someone was sexually abused, but when I read her book, when I read her section of the book, I could feel what she was feeling. I, I think, you know, I, I felt bet I felt yeah. it more than just yeah. hearing well they were sexually abused when they were young. It made me feel something. Yeah, yeah. and in his experiences with violence in his community, I felt that like. It was really good um, for perspective of maybe when these kids get to be teenagers, they act a certain way because of the things that they've been through. Uh, it, it just made you understand a little bit better um, what they what they went through, but how it, their story is a lot similar to other children who have to enter the foster care system. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I love them. I kind of kept in contact with them since I uh, had Justin on my podcast last season. Mm -hmm. And they're just such a wonderful couple. Their story is, uh, I mean, just gripping and and heart-wrenching, but also heart-raising. Just mm -hmm. to, the, to see where they are now with their beautiful daughter and and their first children's book getting ready to come out in April. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful story of theirs and, and you know, a, a testament to, to God and, and the way he works in our lives because uh, they're definitely strong believers and have um, really just 
put their faith in, at the forefront, and which is amazing. Again, reading their story to see how God is so centered in their lives, mm-hmm. given everything they went through. Like you would think a lot of people would probably like turn away from belief and turn yeah, away from God. Yeah, they would like, curl up and die that. is what they would probably do. Or yeah. just re so, well, re um, traumatize their their children, and it would just keep going. But they, it, I feel like they said, "I make this decision. I'm not going to be like that. I'm going to do this God's way." And so you can, yeah. it's just like a miracle. Yep. Yeah. So. And lastly, mm-hmm. you have a book coming out soon. What can you tell us about your book? should be seeing soon. Okay. Um, so this book is, remember how we just talked a few minutes ago about how your training, your initial training just kind of sprinkles across the surface. It doesn't get really deep mm-hmm. in anything. Um, there are some scenarios, but they're so cheesy almost, <laughs> I feel like. So my book would kind of dive deeper into each of the categories of things for example the reactive attachment disorder not only what is it but reasons that it can exacerbate any attachment issues Um, why you should not really move the children unless you have a really valid reason because you're re-traumatizing them every time they move so i wanted this book to be um, realistic in the fact of what you're getting ready to step into. You're getting ready to step into this war or battle and you need to be prepared. You know, we're supposed to be warriors and so we need to prepare for our battle and I feel like this, the things that I wish I had known before I started. So for over 10 years, I've been collecting these these um thoughts and i don't know thoughts (laughs) into my head and about what i would have wanted to know beforehand and so i just compiled like discipline i mean excuse me like discipline they they tell you about discipline for like your toddler you know a minute per age or whatever the thing is but is is timeout really effective and is it going to work on a 13 year old like no you have to have so many tools in your toolbox that you can pull from uh, that they don't have time to you know explain all the different methods that you could utilize um and then i talk i have a whole chapter on um loss and it's one of my favorite chapters because I actually took scenarios from people that I knew, well, kind of I their acquaintances, um, from foster parents who had children, uh, I want to say ripped away from them um, as foster parents. So it was traumatic for them because in some instances they didn't get to say goodbye. In some other instances they had three hours, you know, to pack up the kids so they could move somewhere else and and so it was just you know gut-wrenching to read and understand that this could happen like they could make this decision to 
move the child, put the child back with their family. You don't have time to prepare. And then how would you, if you could, prepare the, the child for this move um, without speaking negatively about the system or, or whatever. Um, so that, that's really my, one of my favorite chapters because I have real life scenarios that I found. Yeah, that's, that's definitely one that would, um, I know it hit me. I'm, I'm, I'm a softy. I'm definitely a, a emotional guy. And when our first placement, when they were going back to their biological family, uh, I had to work that night. I was working in personal training at a gym and, and it was probably the best thing for me that I was working that night because it distracted me. I, I said goodbye to them before they were before they left, and um, and then as a personal trainer, I got to kick a bunch of people's butts that night mm -hmm. and make them pay for my heartbreak. So, mm -hmm. um, sorry to those people, but yeah. uh, it, but and and that still is something that sticks with me. So I can imagine the that loss is something that those people, those stories that they felt because you know we you often don't get to stay in touch with the kids that you once fostered. It's usually up to the family. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately we did not, we, we left the, the family, our, our information stuff, and we haven't heard from them. We heard from their caseworker once when we were doing a, a visit with our now adopted son a, a few months later and heard that things were going well. But mm. Such um, a relief. That's such a relief. Since, and it, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So that was definitely a relief, but also thinking about you know that they where they are in age compared to our two boys, and mm -hmm. and then going places like one of the kids in my son's preschool class has the same name as our first oh. foster daughter, and it's like uh, like no, that's no, that's not her. Yeah. That's not her. So, that's fair. Uh, What's weird definitely... for us is um, birthdays. We still are like, oh, this is so and so's mm -hmm. birthday. You know, remember yeah. when we had the party for a, so? You know, so oh, it's, yeah. it sticks with you forever. It's just like you know. Yep. yep. So, um, so how was that experience writing your book? Would you approach it differently next time uh, mm -hmm. if you're to write a follow-up book, like maybe a book on adoption? Mm -hmm. uh, since you adopted five of your placements that you had, um, yeah. how would you approach it differently? Um, I don't, I don't know that I could approach it differently because I'm just really, um, I, I just, I, I took an outline, I did a brainstorm, I did an outline, and then I just wrote. So I really don't know any other way to write, I guess. Um, but I really would have like hired an editor earlier and, you know, been doing one chapter at a time and like maybe perfecting that chapter before going on to all these other thoughts that I have. So I might have done one chapter and, and perfected it almost before moving on to another topic. But I have all these topics like that I want to tell people about. <laughs> so I wanted to write everything down and... It may not been have been the best approach. Yeah. yeah. But 
you still wrote a book, so mm. what can I say? I, I it's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> so when when uh, what's the name of the book, and when is the release date for it? Yeah, it's called Called to Foster. Um, so if I named it that because I felt like I had this calling, and like you mm. probably felt this calling, and so. I really feel like it's a calling. If it's not a calling, it'll kind of be short-lived and um, you'll be miserable. Um, yeah. And I do not know exactly when the release date is. I'm still working out some timeline issues. But you, if you're interested in the book, they can go to my website, which is kristenatkins.com, and there's just okay. a place to sign up. Awesome. Yep. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your your knowledge uh, with us. And I uh, just really enjoyed talking with mm -hmm. you about everything. And just congratulations on your family, on the coaching, on the podcast, and your book when it does come out. I uh, just thrilled for you and, and just thrilled to have you part of the family of family by heart yeah. so thank you so much Aww, and wish you the best going forward thank you it's an honor to be here and it was a fun experience thank you well good well thank you <laughs> and for everyone else uh definitely be on the lookout for called to foster again you can go to her website i'll put that address in the show notes but it is kristenadkins.com and remember it doesn't matter what your background is where you come from who your family is now we're born into our names, but we're all family here. This is Family by Heart. Till next time.